Section 23 of Age is Aid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland, situated in the northeast of the island of Ireland. Age is Aid by Various. Ulster Stand for Union by Ronald McNeil. Chapter 12 Was Resistance Justifiable? A story is told of Queen Victoria that in her youthful days when studying constitutional history she once asked lord melbourne whether under any circumstances citizens were justified in resisting legal authority to which the old courtier replied when asked that question by a sovereign of the house of hanover i feel bound to answer in the affirmative if one can imagine a similar question being asked of an ulsterman by mr asquith mr lloyd george or sir edward gray in nineteen twelve the reply would surely have been that such a question asked by a statesman claiming to be a guardian of liberal principles and of the wing tradition could only be answered in the affirmative this at all events was the view of the late duke of devonshire who more than any other statesman of our time could claim to be a representative in his own person of the wing tradition handed down from sixteen eighty eight passive obedience has indeed been preached as a political dogma in the course of english history but never by apostles of liberalism forcible resistance to legally constituted authority even when it involved repudiation of existing allegiance has often both in our own and in foreign countries won the approval and sympathy of english liberals a long line of illustrious names from cromwell and lord halifax in england to kossuth and mazzini on the continent might be quoted in support of such a proposition if anyone were likely to challenge it when then liberals professed to be utterly shocked by ulster's declared intention to resist home rule both actively and passively they could not have based their attitude on the principle that under no circumstances could such resistance be morally justified indeed in the case in question there were circumstances that would have made the condemnation of ulster by the english liberal party not a little hypocritical it referred to any general ethical principle that party had itself been for a generation in the closest political alliance with irishmen whose leader had boasted that they were as much rebels as their fathers were in seventeen ninety eight and whose power in ireland had been built up by long sustained and sympathetic defiance of the law yet the same politicians who had excused if they had not applauded the plan of campaign and the organised boycotting and cattle driving which had for years characterised the agitation for home rule were unspeakably shocked when ulster formed a disciplined volunteer force which never committed an outrage and prepared to set up a provisional government rather than be ruled by an assembly of cattle drivers in dublin moreover many of mr asquith's supporters and one at least of his most distinguished colleagues in the cabinet of nineteen twelve had himself organised resistance to an education act which they disliked but had been unable to defeat in parliament nevertheless it must of course be freely admitted that the question is to what conditions justify resistance to the legal authority in the state or rebellion if the more blunt expression be preferred is an exceedingly difficult one to answer it would sound cynical to say though carlyle hardly shrinks from maintaining that success and success alone redeems rebellion from wickedness and folly yet it would be difficult to explain on any other principle why posterity has applauded the parliamentarians of sixteen forty three and the wings of sixteen eighty eight while condemning monmouth and charles edward or why mr gladstone sympathized with jefferson davis when he looked like winning and withdrew that sympathy when he had lost 
but if success is not the test what is is it the aim of the men who resist the aim that appears honourable and heroic to one onlooker appears quite the opposite to another and so the test resolves itself into a matter of personal partisanship that is probably as near as one can get to a solution of the question those who happen to agree with the purpose for which a rebellion takes place think the rebels in the right those who disagree think them in the wrong as mr winston churchill succinctly puts it when commenting on the strictures passed on his father for inciting ulster to resist home rule constitutional authorities will measure their censures according to their political opinions he reminds us moreover that when lord randolph was denounced as a rebel in the skin of a tory the latter was able to cite the authority of lord althorpe sir robert peel mr morley and the prime minister gladstone himself in support of the contention that circumstances might justify morally if not technically violent resistance and even civil war to this distinguished catalogue of authorities an ulster apologist might have added the name of the chief secretary for ireland in mr asquith's own cabinet who admitted in nineteen twelve that if the religion of the protestants were oppressed or their property despoiled they might be right to fight which meant that mr Burrell did not condemn fighting in itself provided he were allowed to decide when the occasion for it had arisen greater authorities than mr Burrell held that the ulster case for resistance was a good and valid one as it stood no english statesman of the last half-century has deservedly enjoyed a higher reputation for political probity combined with sound common sense than the eighth duke of devonshire as long ago as eighteen ninety three when this same issue had already been raised in circumstances much less favourable to ulster than after the passing of the parliament act in nineteen eleven the duke of devonshire said the people of ulster believe rightly or wrongly that under a government responsible to an imperial parliament they possess at present the fullest security which they can possess of their personal freedom their liberties and their right to transact their own business in their own way you have no right to offer them any inferior security to that and if after weighing the character of the government which is sought to impose upon them they resolve that they are no longer bound to obey a law which does not give them equal and just protection with their fellow-subjects who can say how at all events can the descendants of those who resisted king james the second say that they have not a right if they think fit to resist if they think they have the power the imposition of a government put upon them by force all the same there never was a community on the face of the earth to whom rebellion in any real sense of the word was more hateful than to the people of ulster they traditionally were the champions of law and order in ireland they prided themselves above all things on their loyalty to their king and to the british flag and they never entertained the idea that the movement which they started at craigavon in nineteen eleven and to which they solemnly pledged themselves by their covenant in the following year was in the slightest degree a departure from their cherished loyalty on the contrary it was an empathetic assertion of it they held firmly as mr bonar law and the whole unionist party in great britain held also that mr asquith and his government were forcing home rule upon them by unconstitutional methods they did not believe that loyalty in the best sense loyalty to the sovereign to the empire to the majesty of the law required of them passive obedience to an act of parliament placed by such means on the statute book which they were convinced moreover was wholly repugnant to the great majority of the british people this aspect of the matter was admirably and soberly presented by the times in one of the many weighty articles in which that great journal gave undeviating support to the ulster cause 
a free community cannot justly or even constitutionally be deprived of its privileges or its position in the realm by any measure that is not stamped with the considered and unquestionable approval of the great body of electors in the united kingdom any attempt so to deprive them is a fraud upon their fundamental rights which they are justified in resisting as an act of violence by any means in their power this is elementary doctrine borne out by the whole course of english history that the position was paradoxical calls for no denial but the pith of the paradox lay in the fact that a movement denounced as rebellious by its political opponents was warmly supported not only by large masses probably by the majority of the people of this country but by numbers of individuals of the highest character occupying stations of great responsibility whatever may be thought of men engaged in actual political conflict whom some people appear to think capable of any wickedness no one can seriously suggest that men like lord macnaghten like the late and present primates of ireland like the late provost of trinity like many other sober thinkers who supported ulster were men who would lightly lend themselves to rebellion or any other wild and irresponsible adventure as the times very truly observed in a leading article in nineteen twelve we remember no precedent in our domestic history since the revolution of sixteen eighty eight for a movement among citizens law-abiding by temperament and habit which resembles the present movement of the ulster protestants it is no rabble who have taken it it is the work of orderly prosperous and deeply religious men nor did the paradox end there if the ulster movement was rebellious its purpose was as paradoxical as its circumstances it had in it no subversive element in this respect it stands so far as the writer's knowledge goes without precedent a solitary instance in the history of mankind the world has witnessed rebellions without number designed to bring about many different results to emancipate a people from oppression to upset an obnoxious form of government to expel or to restore a rival dynasty to transfer allegiance from one sovereign or one state to another but has there ever been a rebellion the object of which was to maintain the status quo yet that was the sole purpose of the ulster men in all they did from nineteen eleven to nineteen fourteen that fact which distinguished their movement from every rebellion or revolution in history placed them on a far more solid ground of reasonable justification than the excuse offered by mr churchill for their bellicose attitude in his father's day although he is no doubt right in saying that when men are sufficiently in earnest they will back their words with more than votes it is a plea that would cover alike the conduct of halifax and the other whigs who resisted the legal authority of james the second of the jacobites who fought for his grandson and of the contrivers of many another bloody or bloodless revolution but there was nothing revolutionary in the ulster movement it was resistance to the transfer of a people's allegiance without their consent to their forcible expulsion from a constitution with which they were content and their forcible inclusion in a constitution which they detested this was the very antithesis of revolution english radical writers and politicians might argue that no transfer of allegiance was contemplated but ulster men thought they knew better and the later development of the irish question proved how right they were even had they been proved wrong instead of right in their conviction that the true aim of irish nationalism a term in which sinn fein is included was essentially separatist they knew better than englishmen how little reality there was in the theory that under the proposed home rule their allegiance would be 
unaffected and their political status suffer no degradation they claimed to occupy a position similar to that of the north in the american civil war with this difference which so far as it went told in their favour that whereas lincoln took up arms to resist secession they were prepared to do so to resist expulsion the purpose in both cases however being to preserve union the practical view of the question as it would appear in the eyes of ordinary men was well expressed by lord curzon in the house of lords when he said the people of this country will be very loath to condemn those whose only disloyalty it will be to have been excessive in their loyalty to the king do not suppose that the people of this country will call those rebels whose only form of rebellion is to resist on remaining under the imperial parliament of course men like sir edward carson lord londonderry mr thomas sinclair and other ulster leaders were too far-seeing not to realize that the course they were taking would expose them to the accusation of having set a bad example which others without the same grounds of justification might follow in very different circumstances but this was a risk they had to shoulder as of all who are not prepared to subscribe to the dogma of passive obedience without limit they accept it as the less of two evils but there was something humorous in the pretense put forward in nineteen sixteen and afterwards that the violence to which the adherents of sinn fein had recourse was merely copying ulster as if irish nationalism in its extreme form required precedent for insurrection even the leader of constitutional nationalism himself had traced his political pedigree to convicted rebels like tone and emmet and since the date of those heroes there have been at least two armed risings in ireland against the british crown and government if the taunt flung at ulstermen had been that they had at last thrown overboard law and order and had stolen the nationalist policy of active resistance there would at least have been superficial plausibility in it but when it was suggested or implied that the ulster example was actually responsible in any degree whatever for violent outbreaks in the other provinces a supercilious smile was the only possible retort from the lips of representatives of ulster but what caused them some perplexity was the disposition manifested in certain quarters in england to look upon the two parties in ireland in regard to rebellion as six of one and half a dozen of the other it has always unhappily been characteristic of a certain type of englishman to see no difference between the friends and the enemies of his country and if he has a preference at all to give it to the latter apart from all other circumstances which in the eyes of ulstermen justified them up to the hilt in the policy they pursued apart from everything that distinguished them historically and morally from irish rebels there was the patent and all-important fact that the motive of their opponents was hostility to england whereas their own motive was friendliness and loyalty to england in that respect they never wavered if the course of events had ever led to the employment of british troops to crush the resistance of ulster to home rule the extraordinary spectacle would have been presented to the wandering world of the king's soldiers shooting down men marching under the british flag and singing god save the king it was no doubt because this was very generally understood in england that the sympathies of large masses of law-loving people were never for a moment alienated from the men of ulster by all the striving of their enemies to brand them as rebels constitutional authorities may as mr churchill says measure their censures according to their political opinions but the generality of men who are not constitutional authorities 
whose political opinions, if they have any, are fluctuating, and who care little for judicial niceties, will measure their censures according to their instinctive sympathies. And the sound instinct of English men forbade them to blame men who, if rebels in law, were their firm friends in fact, for taking exceptional and even illegal measures when all others failed, to preserve the full unity which they regarded as the fruit of that friendship. End of section 23